Romans chapter 12. Our text comes from verses 6 through 8, um, but as we have done, I want to begin in, in verse 1. Because everything stems from the, the mercies of God and the, the power of a, a transformed mind and the attitude of humility, which are in the first three verses. So Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. And the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let me pray. Father, I would pray, God, just even in these moments, in this hour that we are together over your word, I pray that you would commune with us, that you would teach us and guide us. Father, just even thinking in my mind uh, today of someone who is uh, a little bit adrift that doesn't really know what they're doing with their life for the ministry and the church and how all that works out. I pray that today may be a moment of clarity for them, that you in some ways might use my words, God, to help them see and understand and, and embrace their own person and who they are, that they would understand themselves better, God, that they would be willing to step out and seek to use their gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. God, we desperately need everyone. We're all part of a body. And God, I pray that you would help God people to know even this morning how they might serve and help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the 1940s, George H. Revis, who was assistant superintendent of the Cincinnati Public Schools, he wrote an, or, an allegory about education and about schools. It was entitled The Animal School. I'm not sure if any of you read this book at all. I did not hear of it until this past week, but uh, what Rebus wrote intended about schools is applicable to us this morning as we think about spiritual gifts and we think about Christian service. So Rebus wrote this. He said, once upon a time, that's how all good stories start, right? Once upon a time, the animals decided that they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So... They organized a school. They adopted an, an activity curriculum of running and climbing and swimming and flying. To make it easier to administrate the curriculum, all the animals took the same subjects. And the duck was excellent at swimming. In fact, better than his instructor. But the duck made only passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. And since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice his running. This caused his webbed feet to be badly worn so that he was only average in swimming. 
But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that except the duck. And the rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch because in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class. The the reason was his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down. He developed Charlie horses from overexertion and only got a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing class, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but insisting on using his own way to get there. Now, I think the point is obvious, right? That animals are different. They're made differently. Ducks swim and rabbits run. Squirrels climb and eagles fly. That's the way that they were made. God made ducks to swim and he made rabbits to run and he made squirrels to climb and he made eagles to fly. And when animals are doing what they're not created to do, they struggle and it's painful to watch. Likewise, when it comes to a church, all of us are made differently. We're all made to function differently. And when we function in our giftedness, We flourish. We function outside of our giftedness. We flounder. And it's difficult for all. And how important it is for us to function within our our giftedness. And this is Paul's point in our text this morning. That we all function in our giftedness. As I title my message, using your gifts. It comes right there from verse 6. If you look there, Romans 12 verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We all have differing gifts. These gifts all come from the Lord. They're given to us by God's grace. And the exhortation here is that we might use our gifts, live in the way that God has made us. In fact, that's the idea of the rest of the passage. You even just see, if God has made you this way, do this. If he's made you this way, do this. If your gift is this, do this. Listen to it. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, we should prophesy. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Just as a fish should swim, so the one gifted in service should what? Should serve. And just as a bird should fly, so one gifted in leadership should, should lead. Now, now, we're different than the animal kingdom. Uh, it's obvious that an eagle should fly because he has wings. And it's obvious that a duck should swim because of his webbed feet. And a a squirrel should climb because his feet and his claws, or however that works, are made for climbing. Animals with claws climb, and animals with gills swim, and animals with wings fly. But none of us have those characteristics. In, In fact, all of us have pretty much a lot of the similar characteristics. We're all the same being, right? What are we? Homo sapiens, the same genus, the same species. It's... It's, 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 we're the same in some regards, but we're all gifted differently. Our gifts are, are different than the animal kingdom, the physical traits. Our gifts are different. Our gifts are more personality-driven. Um, their talents, their resources, and their abilities. Uh, some are outgoing. That's a gift. Some are reserved and pensive. That's a gift. Some are intellectual. That's a gift. Some prefer to work with their hands. That's a gift. Some are emotional, guided by their hearts. Others are stoic, guided by their minds. Both of those are gifts. Some give great attention to detail. Some view the full picture. Those are gifts. 
Some can speak well. Others prefer to listen. Some are willing to tell others what to do. Some just would prefer to keep to themselves. Some have resources they're willing to share. Others have little but are great in faith. All these are gifts. Some have followers. Others prefer to be a follower. Some are adventurous. Some are cautious. And these are all traits given to us by God. It's the way that God has made us. And to understand the way that God has made us helps us to understand how it is that we are to use our gifts in the service of others. Now, in our passage this morning, verses 6 through 8, we see seven gifts. We can just list them off just right there. There's prophecy. There's service. There's teaching. There's exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. And we're going to dig into each of these gifts, right? Seven points in my message this morning. Seven gifts, seven points. They, they match up pretty easily and pretty well. But before we dig into these gifts, uh, I, I do want to make some comments about gifts in general. First of all, these seven gifts are not exhaustive of God's gifts that he gives. We know this because there are other passages in the Bible that talks about the gifts that God gives some gifts are mentioned in other passages, are not mentioned in, in Romans 12. Like, like, for instance, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about gifts of healing, working of miracles, tongues, helping, administration. And none of these are in Romans chapter 12. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul mentions people as gifts. Not necessarily even the gifts that people have, but people as gifts. God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. In fact, there's some gifts in the Bible that aren't found in the list of spiritual gifts, but nonetheless, the Lord gives them. In the Old Testament, God gave Bezalel and Aholiab the skill and craftsmanship. Exodus 36, verse 1, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. God puts skill. He puts wisdom into the hands of people. That's a gift from the Lord. Maybe not a spiritual gift of this list, but it is a gift nonetheless. God gave gifts of learning and skill to Daniel and his friends. Daniel 1.17. As for the four youths, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. God gave these, these young boys the ability to be able to read and understand and comprehend. It was God-given Joseph and Daniel, given the ability to interpret dreams, and both of them were, were very clear that the ability came from the Lord and not from themselves. When Joseph was called in to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he said, Genesis 41, 15 and 16, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it, Pharaoh said. And Joseph answered, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And when Nebuchadnezzar sought the interpretation of his dream, Daniel said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. See, it's God with the revelation that he gave to Daniel this ability to interpret dreams. And beyond dreams, it says, the Lord, Proverbs 2, verse 6, The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So think about that. God gives wisdom, and from the mouth of God come knowledge and understanding. Any wisdom you have, any knowledge, any understanding you have is from God. Not necessarily listed here as a spiritual gift. God gives wisdom, and God gives understanding, and he gives that to people. That's why it's wise to seek out many counselors. So the gifts of, of Romans 12 aren't exhausted, exhaustive. And I believe, in fact, that the gifts that God gives extends far beyond even the seven mentioned in our text 
far beyond those of 1 Corinthians 12. I, I think that you can call other things gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is technically not called a gift, but if you just think about it a little bit, you'll, you'll see that God has given it to believers. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are from the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And are they not gifts? Though none of these are found in the New Testament gifts, in, in some measure, right, it is the fruit of the Spirit which is in our life. We, we have it because the Holy Spirit gives it to us. It's a definition of a gift. And though all of us have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if you're in Christ, there are some who excel in some of those and some who struggle in some of those. So some who excel in love and others who excel in joy, others who excel in peace, patience and kindness. And why do you think that is? Because God's gift to us. And even here in Romans chapter 12, as we look at these, we're going to see that all of us probably should have a measure of all these gifts. Like a a duck can still walk, right? And an eagle can still walk, but there are some gifts where they excel in. And so likewise here, all of these gifts we probably have to some measure. They may not be your strengths, but you have them. And I do believe that God gives gifts that are not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. Skills and abilities are talents of all sorts. I, I think music is a gift. I think a gift of voice Because God designed your vocal cords, Uh, a gift of hospitality, just a a willingness. That's what love is. Uh, A gift of persuasion, edification, and compassion. These are all gifts of God. Uh, Gifts in the arts and in the trades and management and in leadership. Listen, all of that is from God. James 1.17, think about this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variance or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes where? comes from God. And, and what we have is only because we've received it by the Lord. Now, before we, we look at Romans 12, I just want to make one more comment. Can, consider how Peter approached the gifts. He says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, and, and I say this because it helps give us some categories of gifts, and it helps really push us to use them. He, he said this in 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's the same message, right, this morning, using your gifts. As you've received a gift, use it. Verse 11, 1 Peter four eleven. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We see speaking the oracles of God, serving through God's strength. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And these are the two categories, really. The, the, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. I mean, if you look at any gift you have, any gift I mentioned, biblical, non-biblical, whatever, they are speaking gifts or they are, are serving gifts in many ways. Well, as we look at each of these gifts, I want to just identify, are they a speaking gift or are they a serving gift? What's the gift? Do you have it? Are you using it? So let's look at the first gift. The first gift is prophecy. He says, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, that's a a speaking gift is what prophecy is. Now, of all these seven gifts in Romans 12, this is the most difficult because there's really a question as to whether or not this gift still exists today. Because a question comes down in some regards, are there still prophets in the church? And my answer to that is, is, no, I don't think so. 
And the reason I think so is because Paul's clear that the church is founded upon the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And once the foundation has been laid, you don't disturb the foundation. It's there. It's rock solid. It's there that you build on top of the foundation. The apostles were those sent by Jesus to establish a church. The prophets came alongside to help in building the foundation until the scriptures were complete. They weren't needed anymore. They were the foundation of the church. And especially now the New Testament is complete. I don't think there's any need for prophets to the church today to understand, get some revelation from God to discern the path to walk in the days of the early church. The New Testament prophets were foundational, not ongoing. However, that's not to say that some don't have prophetic gifts today. Now, careful how you hear that, because when you think of prophecy, oftentimes you think about right, prediction of the future, right? That's, that's what a prophet does. He predicts the future. But prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament often functioned more in the role of preacher than in the role of predictor of the future. I mean, I mean just read through Jeremiah sometime. 52 chapters long, and a little bit of it contains future predictions, uh, a little bit of it, it's, it's the word that God, God used. But most of it is he's a preacher of righteousness calling for repentance over and over again. I, and I'm always amazed when I read through Jeremiah of all the very different ways, the creative different ways in which he's calling people to repentance over and over and over again. Or consider John the Baptist. Jesus identified him as a prophet. The people considered him to be a prophet. But fundamentally, John the Baptist was a preacher. He's the one who said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the one who rebuked the Pharisees, calling them um, brutus, snakes and vipers, telling them to bear fruit, keeping with repentance. He's the one who exhorted people how to repent. They came and said, well, what should we do? And then he said, whoever has two tunics to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized by him. And they said, what should we do? He says, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers came to him and said, what should we do? He says, don't extort money and be content with your wages. He's just applying the truth as a preacher into the lives of people. But the only predictive element of John's ministry was pointing to Jesus, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or saying that he must increase and I must decrease. And even John the Baptist, right, if he's prophetic, right, even when he was in jail, had doubts, sent his disciples to Jesus, said, are you the one who's to come or shall we seek for another? Yet John the Baptist was a prophet, but primarily he was a preacher, a herald of good news. And in that sense, I think here's the prophetic gift that Paul's getting at in Romans 12. It's the ability to speak boldly and truthfully into the lives of others proclaiming the gospel. And when Paul says how to use the gift, he says in proportion to our faith. Now, it's difficult here to know exactly what that means. Um, the New American Standard, if you, if you have that translation in your lap, it, it, it translates this way. In, in, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, that is preaching boldly, right? You have, you have a faith to believe and, and trust. Right? Preaching to the degree to which you trust the matters of which God is proclaiming. It, it takes faith to preach like John the Baptist did. It takes faith to say the unpopular your thing, right? In fact, how many of you have had a chance to share the gospel with anybody 
and your heart starts going boom, 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 right? I think that's an issue of faith. That's an issue of nervousness. It's an issue of, of I'm the mouthpiece of God speaking now into the life of this person. And to the extent which you have greater faith, that prophecy will come easier. Or that preaching will come easier. That's one way to take this phrase. But another way is to understand this. In the, in the footnote of the New American Standard, it says this. It says, in agreement with the faith. If prophecy in agreement with the faith, that is to preach consistently with the teaching of the Bible, to to preach consistently with the truth of the gospel, as Jude called it, the once for all delivered to the saints faith. And this way you can see how the prophetic gift is synonymous with the preaching gift, just proclaiming the truths of the gospel, that that it's true according to the analogy of the faith, which makes sense then if the prophetic gift is more of of a preaching gift, more of a heralding gift. You just need to preach according to the truth, not necessarily according to the revelation. But whatever Paul meant, in many regards, doesn't matter because those who proclaim the good news need faith. And the more faith, the more effective people will be in preaching. And further, it goes without saying that you need to preach in accordance with the revealed word of God. So I ask you, do you have that gift? Is prophesying, is preaching, heralding, is your gift? There's some regard where we all need to do that. So we think about outsiders. Think about those apart from Christ. But I just say, are you using it? And, and you can use this gift beyond just standing up on a Sunday morning in front of a congregation. You can use this gift when talking to your friends, your families, your neighbor, your coworker. You can use this gift just by, by talking to someone. And I just encourage you just to, to let it loose. I mean, one of the things also, when we, we look at, at gifts here, uh, a, lot, a lot of times people can say, oh, yeah, I got the gift of prophecy. And then they, they go with their delusion a little bit. It's like the duck saying, oh, I got the gift of running. And as much as the duck wants the gift of running and tries to run, it's like it's not going to happen. So I just say in terms of the gift of prophecy or preaching, just let it loose. Start trying. And as you're successful and have, you'll, you'll see that things will just prosper and things will grow. That's how all these gifts work. Well, there's prophecy. Well, let's move on. My second point, service. Is this a speaking gift or a serving gift? Okay, yeah, a serving gift, right? Service is a serving. This is like huge category. In fact, service, you can just, you can lump about everything into service. Um, so there's lots of overlap here. In fact, even you can consider prophecy a, a way of service. This word translates service is very broad. It's the word diakonia, which we get the word deacon. It describes any sort of physical service. In Acts chapter 2, it's the idea of serving tables. It's what Martha was doing when Jesus came to her house. She was busy with the food. She was serving the tables. But the word even has a greater meaning. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, consider this. Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation. That is the service of reconciliation. That is, right... Preaching the gospel so that people will be reconciled to God. But it's a, it's a service. It's a ministry. It's how broad the, the word is. That it's beyond even just serving others physically. It's serving others so as to bring them to the gospel. It, it encompassed, service did, the entire life of Christ. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. The, the whole life of Jesus was given in a life of service. And I really hope you see how broad this word is. It encompasses all the Christian life. And so I ask you, do you have this gift? And I hope you do. Um, because it is the hope of all pastors that people in the church should be serving one another. In fact, that's what my aim is 
Ephesians 4.12, Paul said the goal of all pastors and teachers is to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's my aim, is to see you all equipped for the work of service, even service as menial as carrying chairs or carrying tables as took place last Sunday. Just that service, that seeing the need, discerning the need, and jumping in and just helping with the need. You know, we all should serve in some regards. And a lot of it has to do with perceiving the need and being willing to jump into the need and just going for it. But there are some who are particularly gifted in this area, which I think what Paul is is getting at here a little bit. They just love to serve and help others. And if this is your gift, I encourage you to pursue people with all your might. Pursue them and help them and serve them because we all need help. And we all need others to come alongside us and help us in our time of need. And did you know, just by way of encouragement, that being great in service is a matter of being great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave. Service, it's a high, it's a high gift. Well, let's move on. We've seen prophecy, service, and now teaching. And this is a, another speaking gift. It says, the one who teaches, verse 7, in his teaching... Now, again, this is, this is broad as well. I mean, this, this encompasses every, every type of imparting of information from one mind to another. And in fact, it's so broad because all of us should be teachers. The writer of the Hebrews was disappointed because his leader, his, his, his people, his listeners, weren't to the point of being teachers yet. He said this, Hebrews 5, 11 and 12. We have much to say. It's hard to explain since you all have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. By this time you you ought to be teachers, is what he is saying. That's to everybody. That all of us are to, to know the things of the faith and be able to pass them on to others. And every father and mother particularly, you need to be teachers The call of parents is to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you can't do this without teaching them. We all should be teachers. And and particularly as you think about those without Christ. You think about those in the world. That all of us should be a teacher to those without Jesus. We are to teach others that, that man is not basically good. You'll hear that. Oh, I think people are basically good. No. You need to teach others that people are not basically good and just pull out your newspaper and see how wicked and people are. Rather teach people that men are evil. And when we do that, we're teaching others. And we have opportunities when we're dealing with non-Christians to tell them that there are not many ways to God. Many people will say that. Oh, as long as you believe your faith and you have it sincerely, right? There's lots of ways to God. But, but we can teach people and saying, no, there's only one way to God, that's through Jesus Christ. And we do that, you're teaching unbelievers. We have opportunities also in dealing with unbelievers to teach them the good ways, good deeds are not sufficient to enter into heaven. It's not ways that sins are forgiven. It's not that you come to God and you weigh your good and your bad. And when, when that's presented, which is often presented, and you say, no, you only can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's teaching And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. We ought all to be teachers. We ought all to be able to see that and discern that. And just just one way, just even you think about unbelievers, 
Um, I had an opportunity this, this week to, um, to speak with a couple about Christ. Um, they're right outside. They just happened to come to the church. They were sitting at a picnic table. And uh, so I came to church as often as I do. Uh, and people are here. I try to go out and meet them and greet them and just kind of talk about how, you know, this area here is a park. It's our, our gift to you to try to, you know, to encourage you. I encourage you when you're on the swing set. Just encourage you to use the ball field. Use this. It's, it's yours. Just to make us as a church have a reputation of being uh, welcoming. But I started talking to this, this couple. And, and after a little bit, I saw an opening. Because I'm just praying all the time, just praying for an opening with people. I saw an, an, an opening, and so I, I ran inside, and I, I got this booklet called Ultimate Questions. And uh, a couple copies on it, just, just outside here. And, and, and what I did was I just, I, I kind of gave it to them, said, here's something good to read, because we talked about the gospel a little bit, just wanted to give it. And, and I said, I'll tell you what, here. And I took it back, and I said, let's just, let's just talk through this. And so I just started turning, and just started saying, can we just... Can we just talk about what this is talking about? It says, is anyone there? You know, all of creation is, has been created. And, and this, this isn't an accident. Yes, somebody is there. Is God speaking? Yes, God is speaking in his Bible. He's speaking. And what's God like? Well, he's personal and he's one and he's spirit and he's eternal. Now, I elaborated on these a little bit, but basically what I did, I walked, walked through this whole thing about what the Bible says. Well, who am I? If you guys are thinking about who you are, who are you? Well, you're sinners. You're not quite like God. And what went wrong? And Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought the whole world into judgment. And I said, well, is sin serious? I said, yes, it's serious. It's affected all of us. And where do I go from here? Well, you're going to die someday, and you need to deal with yourself before the Lord. Can religion help? Can your good deeds help? No, it can't. It can never remove sin. It can never satisfy God. It can never change man's sinful nature. Is there an answer? And I told them, yes. Yes, there's an answer. There's an answer in Jesus Christ. He's the cross. He is our substitute. He's our sin bearer. He is our savior. How can I be saved? Is what the last question was. He said, you must be, repent. You must believe and have faith in Christ. I said, even press them there. Is this what you believe? Do you believe these things? And they said, well, yes, they do, but I don't really have any reason to believe they, they did even at one point even i went through this and talked about jesus and 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 uh, talking about well, well where's the hope what are we gonna do and she talked about just getting before god and just saying well i think my good deeds will outweigh my my bad deeds and i said you just told me you don't believe in jesus by saying that and, and she was shocked and i said because christ is your only hope and just believe and trust in him now i was teaching them and what i did i hope you can do you can just take a book and go through it just as I did. If you have opportunities there and if you have boldness and if you have your faith to, to do that. And I taught them the gospel, which all of us can do. Now, now there are some I think Paul's getting at here who are particularly gifted in these sorts of things. He's, he's probably having in mind those who can teach others clearly about spiritual things, who can take the truths of the Bible and synthesize them and, and organize them and make them in such a way that they are, are clear, illustrating the truths of the Bible so that others can learn. It can be expressed publicly in a formal way, just like much of what I'm doing now or in some kind of classroom setting or small group setting. But this gift can also be in the private forum, in an informal way, when you're, when you're just talking with others, teaching others what you learned in the scriptures. That, that can happen right after our service. You're talking with other people. 
The difference between this gift and the prophetic gift is that this maybe is a little bit less emotionally charged, less heralding, um, more didactic, back and forth perhaps. Um, more maybe repeating what we have learned, maybe less imagination. Right? This may be content-oriented rather than passion-heart-oriented. Maybe there's a little bit different in these, but it's much the same as prophesying or, or preaching. And here's my question. Do you have the gift? And again, my admonition to you is to use it. Now, that doesn't mean to necessarily stand up front on Sunday mornings and teach. It just means, I say, if you want to find out whether you have the gift. I mean, you might be the eagle who says, I love to swim. Right? I, I think I have the swimming gift, but you don't. And you might say, I got the teaching gift, but maybe you don't. And that becomes clear as you talk with people. And you, you try, and people will see that and, and, and receive rewards from that and benefits from that. And you'll know whether you're gifted in those areas or not. Let's move on. Prophecy, teaching, exhortation. Uh, again, exhortation. This is a huge, broad, broad gift. It's... Um, it's a speaking gift. It, is, uh, it can extend in the public forum or in the private forum. Consider Acts chapter 13 and verse 15. Paul and Barnabas roll into town at Pisidian Antioch, and the scriptures are read, and then the leaders of the synagogue say, Brothers, do any of you have any word of exhortation for the people? If so, say it. And with the opportunity, Paul stood and preached the gospel to those who had assembled there in the synagogue, a very public forum. An exhortation he gave them. The writer of the Hebrews calls us to be doing this with one another in a private way. Take care, brothers. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the idea there is that it's you see people drifting from their sin and as you see, it's to call them and to come to call them back. That's an exhortation, right? Rebuke them. Say, hey, come back. That's a private exhortation. And, and, and that's what exhortation means. But that's not all that this word means, because this word in and of itself is, has got a huge range of meanings. It can also be translated encourage. Not merely telling people what's wrong and to come back, but identifying weaknesses and speaking into those weaknesses and to encourage People to be strengthened. That's Paul's admonition in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build one another up. There's exhortation, right? When, when the exhortation is needed. There's encouragement when encouragement is needed. But it also can mean comfort. This word can. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Listen for the word comfort. It's the same word. Parakaleo. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A comfort, that's a, a speaking. That's like exhortation might be getting people to turn because they need to be rebuked. And an encouragement might be, well, they're disheartened a little bit and they need to be encouraged. Comfort might be and they're crushed. And you're just trying to do everything you can to, to bring them along. This word is, uh, the word is, Parakaleo, to, to call alongside. And these range of meanings, you can think about it like a coach who's, who's coaching this, uh, this track athlete running a mile, which means you're going to start, the coach has got three chances at him as he, as he comes by. And as he comes by, he's going to yell some things at him. Parakaleo, alongside, he's calling. And, and it might be after the first lap around, like he's a little slower 
And he's exhorting him, saying, yeah, go faster, go faster, come on, you can do it, right? And he's exhorting him. And, and then maybe the second time around, he, he tried and he sees, well, you know what? He's still got a chance, but he's kind of going, he's, come on, you can do it, go, you keep going. That's the encouragement. And then maybe the last time around, he sees that, you know, whatever, he's 40 yards behind. He really has no, no chance and his legs are giving out and he's tired and he's going to call alongside him. And just come on, just finish. I know that you can finish. Just giving him comfort. That's the idea of this word. It can have all those range of meanings. And so I ask you, do you have this gift? I think this is the gift of what we call today biblical counseling. Right? Looking into the situation, discerning the hearts of people, and speaking into that situation in a good way so as to to pull out a a proper response. And, And that can happen on all levels. We all should be counseling one another. We all should be encouraging one another. We all should be exhorting. But there's some who maybe have this better. And if you say, hey, well, I think I have that gift. Well, start doing it. Start encouraging. Start exhorting. Start comforting others. And when, when it comes that you have that counseling gift that will rise to the top, you will see it. Let's move on. Number five. And then we got three more here. Serving. This is a serving gift. It's giving. Giving is a, a serving gift. The one who contributes in generosity. And we see a great example of this in the early church. After the days of Pentecost... When the believers in Christ were initially gathering, the church was first assembling. There was an overwhelming sense of God's grace, and people were giving their resources one to another. Acts 2, 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, proceeds to all as any had need. They were doing what Paul was exhorting in Romans 12. They were giving generously. They were giving happily. They were taking their possessions, selling them, and distributing to all. And the narrative continues. Just sense their happiness and joy. Acts 2, 46 through 47. Day by day, attending the temple together with breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Just the, the joy that was in the giving, the, the willingness that was in their giving, the generosity that was in their giving. I, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, which says, God loves a cheerful giver. Later on in the book of Acts, Barnabas displays his generosity. Acts 4, verse 37, Barnabas is told, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He had a chunk of property, and he wanted to give generously, and so he sold that property Gave it to the apostles then to distribute to the people, those who would have need. That's the gift of giving. And, and I think it's interesting here that with the gift of giving and with the exhortation to do so with generosity, the one who contributes in generosity, right? The one who gives with generosity. I think right here you, you, you begin to see a little bit about how there's got to be other giftings in order to have the gift of, of giving. Because in order to give generously, you have to have abundance, you must be gifted to gain that abundance. Gifted in money-making skills, whether it's some kind of tangible skill, some type of craftsman or engineer, or, or maybe some knowledge like a physician, or, or maybe some special ability like some entrepreneur to, to just earn money. God gifts people this way. And I believe it's a gift from God. To, and, and some people are like Midas. You know, like, like they, just, they, can, they can just get money like nothing. And some, it's harder. But I think that's all a gifting of God and how he gifts. And God gifts people to have an abundance so they can give generously. Now, it's not to exclude those who have only a few. Like, oh, shoot, at least one. I don't, I don't have to do this one because we don't have very much. And I would just say, no. I think the giving here is not necessarily even financial. 
the one who contributes is just kind of giving of yourself. And if it's financial, great. If it's a, a material possession you have, you give it. If it's a skill that you have, you're just giving is really what it's, it's talking about. And those who have fewer resources are still called to give what we have generously for the Lord. But there are some who are particularly gifted in this area. Who've grasped the idea that earth is not our home. Who've grasped the idea that they want to invest in the future. That they want to, to give the treasure where moth and rust won't destroy. Where thief won't come in to steal. The generous are, are those who've come to embrace the idea that, that when God raises your standard, raises your income, He's not raising your standard of living, He's raising your standard of giving. I know Gary Lundberg, you went to Laterno College, and, and R.T. Laterno is a great picture of this. Is that God blessed him with this giftedness of a, ability to make money. And uh, he was making a ton of money, making like big machines, I forget, the 1930s, 1920s, something like that. And uh, making all this money. He just determined, right? This is, this is what I'm going to say. And anything beyond that, I'm going to give away. And he said that when he determined that, just the abundance that started coming in was immensely. And he said, as, as money came in, I would shovel it out. And he said, the problem is that God's got a bigger shovel than I have. And he got to the point where he's giving away like 90% of his income, as I remember, and started college. It just There's giving. He's an example of one who gives with generosity. And there's many people down through the story of the church history who are like that. We've learned that. But even if you don't have much, there's, there still is something to give. But do you have this gift, a gift of giving? I hope you're using it. Use it to help others in need. Okay, here we go. Sixth, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, and now leading. Now, it's interesting about leading. Is this a service gift or is this a speaking gift? It's both. Right? So we see some overlap. I think leadership really is, it's, it's interesting. As I've studied leadership, it's so intangible. It's not like step-by-step step what you can do. But leadership fundamentally is about influence. It's about the one who stands in front of others. Blazing a trail to make it easier for others to follow. The leader is the bicyclist on the front of the peloton. So breaking the wind so that everyone else behind him, all the riders behind him can can ride easier. The, the leader is the one organizing the event so that others can simply show up. The leader is the one casting the vision out front so that others come and follow. And, of course, we've got lots of Bible examples of this. From Moses, who led the people of Israel out of, of Egypt uh, and the slavery, to David, who reigned over the people of Israel. To Jeremiah, who stood as a force for righteousness in a falling nation. Maybe people look to him for leadership. Or Nehemiah, who organized efforts to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem after they were destroyed. Or, or Peter, who boldly proclaimed the gospel in the days after Jesus and, and, and went forth and suffered mightily for it. He was in prison several times, but he was, he was out front doing that. But leadership in the Bible isn't reserved for these great prophets and kings and, and apostles. There are plenty of other examples. You just need to look for them in the Bible, like the sister of Moses. You realize that she exerted some leadership as well. You remember when baby Moses was put in the basket and, and went, and then the Pharaoh's daughter, founder, she took initiative with leadership and, and putting in the mind of Pharaoh's daughter this plan. She said, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? That, that's standing up, leading, it's exerting an influence upon Pharaoh's daughter. Huge. Or like Jehoiada, the priest, who at one time brought all the temple, the captain guard to the temple, organized this plan to overthrow Athaliah. 
the wicked queen and established baby Joash, the six-year-old boy, as rightful king over Judah. That was Jehoiada the priest, leading in that area and just kind of pressing in into that one circumstance. Or like Barnabas. We've already seen him in, in Acts chapter 4. He gave of his property. But Barnabas, who led the apostles to see that Paul, who was converted on the road to Damascus, was, was a genuine believer and worthy of being accepted. He's the one that led forth Paul being included into the, uh, the, the realm of the apostles. Like, you can trust him there. No, 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 no. He, 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 he's killing us. No, but he's changed. And Barnabas stepped into that gap and did that. And, and I just say, these little small acts of leadership are all possible for all of us to do. You just need to see the need and organize the cause. Organize the response. Stand in the gap. Because leadership, even the, the gift of leadership here isn't the one who leads, right? Take his position, right? It doesn't even say the one who has position of leadership. This is just the one who is leading. Because leadership is, is far more about influence than it is about any position. I love this picture of the fish. The fish is just swimming out in front. And what's happening? They're just following after him. I mean, fish are being fish. He, he's, not, he's not grabbing them or cajoling them. He's just the one leading the way. And so likewise, with leadership and with the, the one who leads, just, just lead. And in some ways, listen, we're all called to lead, especially when it comes to unbelievers. We're looking to lead people to Jesus. We're praying about ways to talk with people about Jesus, about how to lead them there. And you should, leadership is about influence, right? You should be influencing the unbelievers rather than them influencing you. And so they may not even realize it. They might just be going about their life. But you in your mind saying, okay, I'm a leader and I'm seeking to lead these people in the way in which they should go and, and go to Christ. And you can lead in, in small things. Fathers, you have a home. You're a leader in the home. Children, a lot of you children are leaders. If you have a younger sibling, you're a leader, Jared. Right? Anybody who has a younger sibling should be leading their, their siblings in the, the right things they should go. And, and I just say this, in, in terms of seeing this leadership blossom, I just say lead. And if you lead well, what are you going to get? Followers. If you have followers, your influence will broaden. But if your leadership is poor, you're not really gifted in that area, what are you going to have? You're going to be this fish swimming and, and all the other fish are like off. Who, who knows where they are, right? But that's how, you, that's how you see your gifts. That's how you develop your gifts. So I say, yep, I'm a leader. Or look, I've got the position. Or look, I'm the pastor. That's not how it works. You seek to have an influence in people's lives. And, and Paul's, here, Paul, Paul's call here is to, is to, with that influence, lead with zeal. Throw yourself into it. Work hard because it takes hard work to lead people. So I just say this, do you have the gift? Are you using the gift? Lead in your area of influence and you'll have more influence. All right, finally, we're coming to the last point. Service this morning. I'm sorry, it was mercy. Mercy is a service type gift. It's not a speaking gift. It's more of a mercy gift, though certainly there's speaking in that. And there's just all, I mean, these things all come together. That's why I think that to just say these particular spiritual gifts are the only one is because mercy is, is certainly service, but you show mercy by your words as well. And so there's all different ways in which these can get here. But it says the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And again, like all other gifts, we're called to do, we all are called to do acts of mercy. We're all called to be merciful. In fact, this is the premise of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, 
to present your body as a living sacrifice, right? In light of God's mercy to us, we are called to respond in mercy as well. We've received mercy. We should extend mercy. That's the parable Jesus told about the man who has forgiven a great debt, but refused to forgive the debt of another. Listen to what his master said. His master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And there's the picture of the gospel, that God's been merciful to us. And what should we do? We should be merciful to others. That is the most basic attitude of a Christian, is mercy, along with humility. But it's, it's what we experience to enter the kingdom of God. It's how we ought to live, a live a life of mercy. Mercy means that we don't give people what they deserve. Even when they hurt us and wrong us, we don't give them what they deserve. In fact, that's, we're going to see that in, in, a, in Romans 12, 14 and following. It's all this mercy, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. They're, they're persecuting you. And the response of mercy is blessing them rather than retaliating. Uh, the idea here is um, verse 17 as well. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. That's mercifully extending grace to those who have helped you, who have hurt you. Uh, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for so, by so doing, you'll heap burning coals. On his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so when evil has come upon you, don't return that evil for evil. Rather, return it with what? With mercy. That's what we're talking about here. Yet Paul had in mind right, those particularly who are good at mercy. And there are some people who are good at mercy and other people who struggle with mercy. Though we all, we all should do that. This is verse 15. We should weep with those who weep. And those who are gifted in mercy... Weep with those who weep. I have a sister who's an aunt to you kids up here, Aunt Sonia. And um, she has a problem. Is that when she sees others hurting, her stomach hurts. And she just pains for them. And she feels sorry for them. And has compassion upon them. And she has mercy on them. I think that's why she's a nurse. She cares for people because she has a heart of love and, and mercy for them. And so likewise, we ought to have a mercy for others. But there's some of you who are better. Do you have the mercy gift? Well, by all means, use that mercy gift and weep with those who weep. Now, I love, again, Peter's explanation of the spiritual gifts. As we've received a gift, use it in serving one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Meaning that God has given to us, we need to steward what's been given. Whether we speak or whether we serve, we need to be God's stewards. Now, a very interesting thing I've, I've heard about in recent days is called Freeports. I'm not sure if you've ever heard, well, <laughs> Freeports just right on down the road, right? But I'm, I'm talking about <clears throat> Freeports. A place that exists between countries in a in a sort of no-man's land where you can store your artwork as long as you want without having to pay taxes on it. And they have these things, particularly in Switzerland. I don't know a lot about them, but, but particularly they're in places where you can, you can purchase what you have 
fly it into a place, keep it in the freeport, not move it, and not have to pay taxes on it. And I've heard some reports about, about many paintings and art particularly is there. Uh, like, like one man said, is the thing about a million-dollar painting is, unlike a million-dollar apartment, you can move it anywhere in the world. The high-end art market has been exploding in the past few years. As more and more art changes hands moving across borders, more and more art is ending up in warehouses like this one called Freeports. And Freeports are used in art all over the world to delay taxation. And the idea, you think about it, what is art created for? Isn't art created to be looked at and marveled at and enjoyed? And what's happening all over the world, like hundreds of millions of dollars of art purchased, is sitting in warehouses in these free ports for taxation reasons, for investment reasons. You have them, you hide them away. But I think about if we need to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God that's given to us, we ought not to take our art and hide it away in a free port in an airport someplace. Right? It, we're to use it. If we're art, we're supposed to hang it on a wall. And if you're gifted in prophecy, we'll herald the good news. If you're gifted in service, by all means, go out and serve and help others. And if you're gifted in teaching, teach and tell others and help build one another's up. If you're good in exhortation or counseling, right? encouragement, right? encourage others, exhort others. If you're gifted in giving, then give with generosity and, and, and give to others to help others out. And if you're gifted in leading, by, by all means, lead people in the right way. Lead them to Christ. Lead them in the ways of God. If you're gifted in mercy, then use that gift and help others in their time of need. I think that's the thrust of Paul in, in Romans chapter 12. You can just kind of even see it. Just use them. Just use it. Just whatever you have. Just use the gifts you have to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's pray. Father, I have sought to herald your word. God, by faith, I have sought to do that and would pray that you'd stir within each of us. God, just a an attitude and a heart that desires to use the gifts of how you have gifted us. All of us are unique. I pray that you would give discernment as to how we are, are gifted. But I pray most of all, God, that people would just jump in and try and jump in and seek to help, God, and that you would, God, make clear, God, to people where, where they're really gifted, whether they're like an eagle and should soar and fly far and wide and live in the high canyons, or whether they're like a duck and should live on the river, or whether they're like a fish and should live in the river. Or whether they're like a rabbit and should run around the grass. God, help us to know how we are gifted. That we might use your gifts for the glory of Christ. To the building up of the church. God, each of us performing our role and our function. God, I just know the church, even with the 140 people like we have here. It's just so complex to try to put everything together. But I know you can. You have put together each of our bodies, which are so complex, but all work perfectly. And you have brought to this church people, God, who are complex and have different gifts. But yet, God, I trust you that it will work perfectly, God, to the the glory of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.